want you to take your Bible today and I want you to go to the book of Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Now many of you perhaps were, were watching the, uh, the broadcast last Wednesday night when we started a message on excuses why people refuse to be saved. Excuses why people refuse to be saved. And what we found there was that many of the very excuses that lost people use for not coming to faith in Jesus Christ are the very reasons why believers do not go. And I want us to just take a look beginning here in Luke chapter 14 and in verse number 16. Here the Bible reads, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Perhaps he had the best excuse, I'm not sure. But uh, he said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said unto his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Lord, I pray that tonight you would use your word in every heart, Lord, speak to us by Thy Spirit, we ask, in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. You know, there are many that have been confronted with the gospel, and they're like those who had been bidden come to the, to the Master's dinner, and they had excuses. Those people that were requested to attend that supper, that great supper, they had excuses. They were just uh, really uh, reasons that were cloaked in a lie. We just call them excuses. And we said last week that no one would buy a car without driving it first. It just is not something that we would ever do. So why would someone buy five yoke of oxen without proving them before he, he made the investment? Why would someone purchase a piece of property without ever seeing it, without ever knowing anything about it, not knowing the appraisal value of it, not knowing the land use and, uh, and the zoning laws and all of those things. And yet, here was a man that said, well, I bought a piece of ground and I need to go take a look at it. And, and another one said, well, you know, I've, I've taken a wife and uh, so I can't come. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know if he was uh, like Adam, trying to blame everything on Eve, but the fact of the matter is this, that Everybody seems to have an excuse as to why they will not come to Jesus Christ. 
The world has a million and one excuses as to why it will not accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But may I say this to you, so does the church. There are a million and one reasons that we put out there as to why we will not do what the Lord commanded when He said, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. I want you to know that that's not something that would be a nice thing to do. It's not a a suggestion that the Lord has made to the church. It's something that we have come to know as the Great Commission. It's a command that the Lord laid upon the church and all those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior were baptized by the Spirit of God into the very body of Jesus Christ and now it is incumbent upon us to carry out the mission of the church. And what it comes down to is this, either we will obey or we will disobey. Either we will do as God has commanded us or we will rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And folks say, well, I'm, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Well, good for you. What about the rest of the world? That's like you saying, well, I'm asymptomatic, I feel great. I I may have the antibodies, I might have it, I don't know, uh, but I don't want to wear a mask. And the fact is, look, people are going to look at you and say, if you've got the antibodies or you've been exposed or perhaps you even have it because you're asymptomatic, then why don't you think about others around you? Why don't you put a mask on because others can be impacted by you? And the fact of the matter is there are a world of people that are filling our churches that are going along and they feel like I've got my fire insurance and so I'm all good. Uh, You know, uh, me and Mama and Susie and Jimmy, us four, no more in Jesus' name, amen. We've got it all nailed down and we're going to kind of live our lives while the world goes on to hell in a handbasket around us. My friends, that's not what God has intended for the church of the living God. I was blessed today. I I went out to to find some lunch to forage around to see if there was anything uh, to eat in the valley. And uh, there are restaurants that are closing up and some are closing up never to reopen again. It's a sad thing, really. And uh, I drove over to Wendy's and I like going there because I can go in. I don't have to uh, bring it back and and uh, eat at my desk. I, I, I went to Wendy's and I, I just sat down and I was having my sandwich and I was there checking some email uh, seated at the table and there were two ladies that came in that were co-workers and, and they sat down and they began talking about the Bible. And there was one lady that said, I pray all the time but I just don't know anything about the Bible. And the lady having lunch with her began to share with her, well, listen, I can put a Bible program on your phone right now and you can, you can read the Bible every day and there are things that will help you to understand the Bible. And she was offering, she said, I'll be happy if you have questions about what you're reading to talk to you about it. And if I don't have the answer, I'll find out and let you know. And uh, they began to talk about the things of the Lord. And I was blessed that here were two ladies, co-workers that had walked in with masks on and now they were having their Wendy's lunch together and talking about the things of the Lord. And I thought, praise God, uh, the Lord is not limited by COVID-19. And you know, I want you to understand this, that God can still use you through COVID-19 to share the gospel. 
So what's our excuse? The fact is we looked at the excuses that many use, and for those that have been around church work for any measure of time, we've heard so many of these. There are many that will not come to the Lord. They're hindered from coming to the Lord because they're too afraid of what people will think. And you know, what what will they think? They'll, they'll think that, you know, maybe I'm becoming a, a Bible thumper, or maybe they'll think I'm a sinner. You, you know, listen, folks, don't go to hell worrying about what somebody might think if you decide you want to go to heaven. Listen, don't don't lose your soul for what other people think of you. Be concerned about what Jesus thinks. He loves you so much that He died in your place so that you could escape the perils of hell and enjoy the splendors of heaven with Him forever. And my friend, He's calling you to come. Don't let the excuse of what will people think stand in the way. There are many Christians that will not share for the very same reason. They think, they'll think, well, maybe I'm a, some sort of a fanatic. Maybe I'll lose my job because they think I'm trying to evangelize at work. And, and they have all of these concerns more so than considering what does the Lord say and what is the Lord thinking. Many will not come to Christ because they believe that it's too simple a message. And we looked at the passages in, in the Gospels that reveal this to us. There are those that thought there has to be more than that. We, we looked at the rich young ruler and, and uh, there were many that came to Jesus and said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they, they wanted to do something and, and just the message of grace just seemed too simple to them. That was a problem in Galatia. There were many that were trying to add something to the finished work of Jesus Christ. But do you know, Jesus said, uh, except you come come as a little child, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of heaven. The Lord made it so simple that even a child could receive Jesus as his personal Savior. And I'm glad of that because at a tender age of eight, I took Jesus as my personal Savior for the forgiveness of sins and have had the joy of sins forgiven and the confidence of a home in heaven ever since. I want you to know that the Lord wanted the uneducated and the illiterate and those that were marginalized and those that were not allowed into the temple to have the simple gospel of Jesus Christ available to them so that they might be saved. But you know, sometimes Christians don't want to give the simple plan of salvation because they don't want to be perceived as simpletons. They don't want to be perceived as uh, dumbing down the gospel because they don't have a theology degree and they may not be able to answer every question about the Bible. Listen, you don't have to be some kind of a theologian. You don't have to be able to answer every question about the Bible. Nobody can. The fact is what we need to do is share the simple plan of salvation like the apostles of old who when confronted by the Sanhedrin said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so, my friends, let's not use the reason that it's too simple to somehow add something philosophical to what Jesus said. Let's just give it in its simplicity and its purity and then let God be God in other people's lives. Some people think, like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus, that I have too much 
to give up. And they don't realize that what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And of course, we know the answer is there is zero profit if you have everything that this world can offer and yet you miss out on your eternal salvation. But there are many Christians who have misplaced priorities that feel like, I'll have to give up on my personal a crafting time. I'll have to give up on my personal hobbies or my fishing or my hunting. I'll have to give up on this or that like I like to do every week. And if I'm going to be as involved in the work of the Lord and telling others about Jesus, and because they have every reason under the sun, uh, they're, uh, they, they, they just forsake telling others about Jesus. And they're like Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, where that Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now everybody that's been a soul winner has heard someone say, I don't want to come to church and I don't want to hear it because there are too many hypocrites in the church. We talked about this last week. And you know what? They're right. And uh, if you're angry about that, then if you want your anger to be directed towards a hypocrite in the church, let me give you some practical advice and direction. First, get up from where you are, then go into the bathroom of your home and look in the mirror. And you'll have all the reason you need to be upset at the hypocrites in the church. You see, in some ways, all of us are hypocrites. Now, some of you I know are sitting there saying, you don't even know me, man. You don't know. You know you're, you're ready to throw down thinking, how could you say that about me? You don't even know me. Well, I know me. And you know, there are times where Though I may not be putting my hypocrisy out there on full display, have you ever known and believed that you ought to read the Bible on a consistent basis? And have you ever not done it? You know what that is? Hypocrisy. Have you ever believed that you should give out gospel tracts and tell people about Jesus and, and, and then chose not to do it? Well, that's a form of hypocrisy. I talk to people who say, I don't want to be a part of a church. It doesn't have an outreach program. If you don't have a soul winning outreach program, then I don't want to be a part of that church. So they join the church and they never go. My friends, that's hypocrisy. The very reason why the non-believer refuses to come to Jesus is one of the reasons why we don't go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come to Jesus. I believe that we need to do what we believe and live out what we believe. I want you to turn in your Bible. We're going to look at the fifth excuse that I find that people often give and uh, that we can uh, identify uh, in our culture today. In Colossians chapter 2, we find something that really stands out as to why people will not be saved. What we see here in verse number 8, reveals it. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So there are many that are involved in religious activity, uh, the traditions of the church. They, they go, maybe they say prayers, they count beads, they light candles, uh, maybe they take communion, maybe they've been baptized, maybe they take classes, 
And uh, maybe they go every Easter and Christmas. I, I don't know. Uh, many perhaps are part of different religions and they'll stand on street corners and preach or go door to door with their magazines or a ride all over the countryside on their bicycle trying to proselyte people into their uh, religion. But what I find is that there are too many people out there that have a form of a religion and they don't want to get saved because they don't think, think they need it because they're already religious. They're already religious. You know what, what they say? I have my own religion. They're just too religious. Isn't that true? It was true in the time of Jesus. You'll recall in John chapter number 4 where that Jesus passed through Samaria. And there he encountered the Samaritan woman there at Jacob's will. And when Jesus began to talk to the Samaritan woman about the living water that he could give her, she began to engage him in a religious discourse and saying, our fathers say that uh, we should worship in this mountain and, and uh, your fathers say you should worship in Jerusalem and, and what do you say? And, and she was trying to engage Jesus in religion and the answer for her soul was not to be found in religion, it was found, to be found in the person of Jesus. And uh, she began to talk about the Messiah when he, was, when he would come. He would, he would t teach us all things. And Jesus looked into her eyes and said, I that speak to thee am he. What a profound moment. But she discovered in that moment that it was not religion that she needed. It was Jesus, her Messiah. There are many that are following after a system and not a Savior. They're trusting in an institution, a church, a denomination, maybe an experience, but they're not trusting in Jesus. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What we need is Jesus. But let me say to you that while there are many lost people that are using the excuse that they already have their own religion, and they feel that they're already religious enough, or they, they have plenty enough religion to go around, there are many that are filling Bible-believing churches that are wrapped up in all the traditions of their religion, and they believe that somehow that exempts them from having to go. You know, the Bible gives us a clear and simple command. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It doesn't get much simpler than that. Uh, we're not going to lose anything on the translation. It just simply says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a command that has been laid upon us all. It's not something that people can abdicate because they say I don't have that gift it's not a gift it's a command it's something that all of us need to be engaged in doing and yet there are many that think well I, I I teach a class I don't have to go listen the great commission is spelled G O go it's not spelled T E A C H it's spelled G O go there are many that say well I'll pray for those that go the great commission is not spelled P-R-A-Y. It's spelled G-O-Go. 
You may be a prayer warrior, and I'm thankful for that, but that does not dismiss you from the responsibility to go. There are others that say, listen, I will G-I-V-E, I'll give. But you know, the Great Commission is spelled G-O, go, not G-I-V-E, give. There are many that will say, I will W-O-R-K down at the church. The Great Commission is spelled G-O, go, not W-O-R-K. I'm just simply saying, folks, that there are many in the church that are so caught up in all the things that they do, it's become a tradition with them. And they use that as their excuse for not winning other people to Jesus Christ. The world has a million and one reasons why they will not come to Jesus. And the church has co-opted their excuses. And I'm afraid that uh, the statistics that uh, we, we find from many of the, the research organizations and, and uh, those organizations that study uh, the church and, and its uh, involvement in the Great Commission... I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you that the Joshua Project, the Barna Group, others, they would indicate that fewer than 10% of professing Christians will ever lead a soul to Christ in their Christian life. Only about 23% of Christians surveyed will ever share the gospel in their Christian life. And only about half of those will have the joy of leading someone to Christ. And, 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 and what a tragedy is to think, it is to think that only 10% of those that name the name of Jesus Christ are actively productive in winning other people to Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, there are a few more than that that are at least trying. And perhaps the, the, the seed sown is going to bear a harvest one day. But let me say, I don't want to be a part of the 90% or so or 89% of folks that, that profess the name of Jesus that, that never lead a, a soul to Christ personally. Folks, many say I'm too religious. And then, you know, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 27. Uh, Proverbs chapter number 27. And we're going to find something else that is at issue. The sixth excuse that I hear a lot is, hey, I'm too busy. I've got a lot of stuff to do. I'm too busy. Okay? Proverbs says in chapter 27 in verse number 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. My friends, the Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse number 14, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a short time and then vanisheth away. The Bible tells us that the days of a man are threescore years and ten. And when we compare that to all eternity, it is virtually nothing. I just turned 57 years old. All I'm promised, or I'm not even guaranteed that, but generally the life expectancy would be 70 years. Uh, that means I've got 13 years left to serve the Lord. If He tarries His coming, perhaps, and if God gives me strength, I'll be like Caleb of old and say, at the age of 80, I want that mountain and keep on trucking up that mountain for Jesus. But the reality is, uh, I need to take the time that I have now. I'm not promised a tomorrow. I, I, I got to 
that, that text message yesterday from Kathy and her heart was broken and my heart was saddened to hear. Here's a woman that was given the opportunity over and over to come to services and to hear the gospel and to bring her children to vacation Bible school, but she always had other things to do. She was always too busy and then the coronavirus infected her and now she's in eternity and the tragedy of tragedies is that Time ran out. The sands of time were no more for her. I'm saying that the lost fail to realize that they are not guaranteed a tomorrow. You see, we think about the rich foolish man who built barns and tore down his barns and built greater barns to to keep all of his stuff in store. And, And the Lord said, Thou fool! This night thy thy soul shall be required of thee, and then who shall those things be? In Luke chapter number 12, the man was foolish to think that I've got plenty of time. I'm going to work my job, and I'm going to save my money, and I'm going to build my portfolio, and get my uh, vacation home all squared away, and get everything taken care of. And then at some later point in time, I'll take care of that. But I'm going to tell you, that time never comes to the one that says, I'm too busy to hear about Jesus. And I want you to know that the outlook for those people is not good. They're foolish to think, I have plenty of time. I I, uh, heard the story told about uh, some of the devil's minions who were uh, demons and trying to figure out how that they could keep people from trusting Christ. And, and uh, one of them said, I know what we should do. We should convince them that there is no heaven. Let's do that. Let's convince them that there is no heaven. And so then they, they won't need to be saved. And, and, uh, and we'll just have problems solved. The second one said, well, um, no, I got a good idea. Let's tell them that there's no hell. And so there's nothing that they have to be afraid of. There's no reason why they need to come to a Savior. We'll just tell them there is no hell. Well, the third demon thought on those two suggestions, and he said, no, I've got a better idea. We don't need to tell them there's no heaven. We don't need to tell them there's no hell. All we need to do is a little simpler job is tell them there's no hurry. There's no hurry. You can take care of that some other time. Don't you worry about it. The truth is, that's what the devil wants you to think. We have a missionary in... uh, in... uh, the old Soviet Union, and uh, he has a prayer card uh, that has a quotation on it that says, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. When Brother uh, Foss came here and, uh, and, and shared that, Quotation, I never forgot that. And the truth of the matter is this, that 
while the unsaved say, I'm too busy, I don't have time, the church has co-opted the excuse of the world and we say, I can't go, I don't have time. My job in earning a living is much more important than the eternal souls of men and women, boys and girls. My personal interests and my plans are way more important. My birthday parties and anniversaries and celebrations and all of these things, they're much more important to us, it seems. And we have filled up our schedules with all of the things that when we see Christ will not matter about that much. I'm too busy. I want you to go to Luke chapter 16 for just a moment. Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16 and verse number 19, we read there about the rich man and Lazarus. And the Bible tells us that there was a certain rich man, in verse 19, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I want you to understand that the lost are in spiritual darkness and they are blinded by the darkness of their hearts and they do not see the real need. They don't see the need of it. And often it's because they are so occupied with the things of this world that they never pause to think about what comes next. This rich man, he was a kind-hearted man. He allowed the beggar Lazarus to remain at his gate. I, I think most of us would have called the cops on Lazarus and, and had them move him down the road and get him off my property. But he let his dogs play with Lazarus and lick his sores and, and he, he let the servants bring out the crumbs from off of his table and, 
and made sure that Lazarus had something to eat. So he was at least kind to the homeless. And he was a generally nice guy. He was a family man. He loved his father. He loved his brothers. He didn't want anything bad to befall them. But, you know, he had everything in his life all set. He was occupied with everything. He knew of Abraham. He knew of the prophets. He knew about uh, Abraham's bosom. He knew about Moses. He was aware of the people that were around him. He was thinking about his brother. And he was so occupied with things that he never saw that he needed anything because he thought, I'm being kind to other people. I'm building a nice legacy for myself and taking care of my family and concerned about my brothers. But he was so proud of all that he was involved with, he didn't see his own need of a Savior. The truth is, the Bible says, how shall they hear of him in whom they have not How shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We need to understand this, that we have a duty to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. People have failed to understand that hell is a real place. But I will remind you that Jesus Christ in the gospels recorded for us in in those gospels 13 sermons that he preached. That was a representation of perhaps many hundreds that he preached over the course of three and a half years of his ministry. But of those 13 sermons that Jesus preached, in eight out of the 13, he preached warning people about the perils of hell, teaching them that there was a way that seemed right unto a man, but the end thereof were the ways of death, and that they needed to believe upon Jesus so that they could escape uh, the hell that was to follow a sinner's death. And so understand this, the Bible tells us that hell is that second death in Revelation twenty fourteen, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. It is the lake of fire where the worm dieth not, neither is the flame quenched, where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And my friends, the smoke of their torment, the Bible tells us in Second Peter and in the book of Jude, shall ascend up forever and forever. It will never end. And what we have failed to understand is that while the lost don't see their immediate need, they think they've got everything all put together. What we need is to, for a moment as a church, get a vision of hell once again and understand that people actually do go there outside of Jesus Christ. And when they go, they don't stay there until people have prayed them out or paid them out or done something, gotten baptized for them to get out. No, my friends, there is no escape. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and forever world without end. They go to eternal death while all those who have accepted Jesus Christ experience eternal life, everlasting life. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. And we so often use that talking about casting a vision about a ministry and getting people to be involved in ministry. And well, we should. But I believe there's an application for us that would lead us to just for a moment have a vision 
of the destruction that people go to in hell. And if we could just encapsulate that in our minds and understand that people are, are going uh, to hell in a handbasket in our culture and people are living in fear. And they don't have to if we would just get busy about what God has called us to do. I want to just share one final excuse and one, one thing that I believe is preventing people from coming to the Savior. And we look in Matthew chapter 13, in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus spoke in a parable there, and it was the parable of the sower, which we also find in two of the other Gospels. But here we discover in verse 3, He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some weeds, some seeds rather, fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up they were scorched, and because they had no root they withered away. And Jesus explained this in verse 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. My friend, one of the primary reasons why people will not come to Jesus is because they are too distracted. They're too distracted. The deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world the coronavirus, the election, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilence, civil unrest, racism, poverty, unemployment, marital difficulties, latchkey kids, all kinds of problems in our culture and in our society and people are so taken up with everything. And you know where they're getting all of that fear infused into their heart? I'm going to tell you. They're sitting at computers or in handheld devices or tablets and or in front of a television set and listening all day, every day to it. And they're so taken up with it, distracted by uh, their social issues and political issues and personal issues and desires that they just don't have any room in their thought process for Jesus. Because all that they ever read about in their social media sites and all they ever hear about on the radio or television is about how religion is corrupt and about how uh, men of God are trying to lead people down the primrose path of destruction. And, and uh, they, they hear only the bad news. They don't hear the good things. They don't understand the truth. And, and as a consequence of that, they're going to go to a devil's hell. Because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches have, have clouded out the ability of the gospel to get in. And it's because they're much too distracted by the prince and the power of this air who's filling their mind with things on the internet. It's amazing to me. People now of every age are spending day after day after day filling their minds with videos and music and conspiracies and news and and reading about people and things and then writing about people and things and politics and if we would just simply stop for a moment and understand that one day 
we're going to stand before Almighty God and give account of ourselves to God. Perhaps that would give some clarity for people to pause and understand, I need to receive the truth so that my eternity is secure. If you think the planet is going to be consumed because of global warming, when it's consumed, what then for you? If you think coronavirus is a pestilence that is going to wipe out the masses and you contract it and die, what then? What then? The reality is, my friend, we get so distracted that we fail to see where the truth and me enters in to the thought process. Don't ever come to the place where you're so distracted by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that you will not receive the truth of God and be saved. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? The world has a million and one excuses for not coming to Jesus. And the church has co-opted every one of them for not going. The last reason that we as believers often do not go is because we are too distracted by the very same things. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4 that no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. Understand this, that no good combat soldier puts sports equipment in his backpack when he goes into the field of battle. He doesn't put weights uh, so he could work out while he's in a foxhole. He, he doesn't weigh himself down because he will be totally uh, a sitting duck. It'll be like shooting fish in a barrel for the enemy if he were weighted down with all of those things. And and no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. When we go into a spiritual conflict and battle, we cannot be entangled with the things of this life, distracted by all the things we're reading on the internet, overwhelmed with everything we're reading about everybody else. We read more about everybody else than we do about Jesus our Savior. And Paul's passion was to know Christ. Friends, I, you're looking at someone that is probably uh, astute, as far as the political scheme of things and geopolitical uh, uh, scenarios and all of that, I, I, I make it a, 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 my responsibility to know so that I can engage people in conversation so that I can always lead that conversation back to the fact that what this old world needs is Jesus. But I never want to get to the place where I'm so immersed in the cares of this life and in social and political things and reading and and trying to, to gain information about all of these issues and conspiracies that I fail to involve myself in telling others about Jesus Christ. I think about in the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah left Persia and uh, King uh, Artaxerxes there and went to Jerusalem to uh, rebuild the walls that had been torn down and, and left waste. And he led the people of God to, to rebuild those walls around the city of Jerusalem. And while he was there, there was a man named Sanballat. 
and he had a friend named Tobiah, and they came and tried to get him to come down off of a wall and to come and talk with them and meet them in the plain of Ono. And, and they wanted to distract him from the work. And he said, I cannot come down, for I am doing a great work for the Lord. And my friends, we've come down off of the wall of God, and we've ceased the great work of evangelism because of crafts and birthday parties and, and children's endeavors and soccer leagues and baseball leagues and swimming classes and ballet classes and and we we run after all the things of this world and we leave all of the truly important things that our children need to go to waste and we do not spend the time necessary because we're distracted by the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches even believers have succumbed to that distraction but my friend i would tell you this that every one of us Every man, woman, boy, and girl will stand before God and give account of themselves before the Lord. And those who have rejected Jesus Christ will go to a devil's hell without remedy. Those who have accepted Christ will go to heaven. But my friend, before that, we're going to give account for the things that we've done for the Lord. And we'll also give account not just for what we've done for the Lord, but for the opportunity He gave us that we didn't avail ourselves of. Friends, excuses. They say they're like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to put out excuses. It's either obey or disobey. It's either go or rebel. That's what it is. And for those that don't know the Lord as Savior, it's either heaven or hell. There's no middle ground. I don't know about you, but listen. If I were you, and I wasn't sure of heaven, i get that taken care of right now. Because none of us is promised a tomorrow. And as busy as you are, right now, right here, Hit the pause button and listen. If you're not certain that you're on your way to heaven, that your sins are forgiven, I want to share with you in just a few moments how you can be sure. I want to share with you the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. But the gospel begins with a little piece of bad news. And that little piece of bad news is terrible. For the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That means that we're all sinners. No one's perfect. And verse 23 it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and, and we come short of the glory of God. And that phrase, coming short of the glory of God, reveals to us God's requirement for heaven. And here's what it is. Perfection. Perfection. You see, God doesn't grade on a curve. He's perfect and holy. If He graded on a curve saying, do the best you can and hope to make it, then He's accepting unholiness. He's accepting less than righteous. And He can't do that. That's why Jesus had to die so that all righteousness could be fulfilled. And yet there are a lot of people that believe if I just do my best that God's going to let me in, that somehow there's this big scale of justice in heaven and, 
when I stand before God, all my good works will be on one side and all my bad works will be on the other side. But friend, if there's even one bad work, you're damned. Because we all fall short, even if it's by one sin, that poisons the pot, you see. We're sinners. Now even if somehow you could supernaturally and you cannot avoid committing sins, we still have this inherent problem for the Bible says in Romans 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse number 21, For as in Adam all die. You see, when God created man, Adam and Eve, He placed him in the garden, and when they sinned against God by partaking of the fruit that He said not to take of, then every one of their descendants was cursed, born with the curse of sin, and consequently death. And so while you may be able to change what you do, you can't change who you are. We were born sinners. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Now, wages are something we deserve. It's what we have earned because of our sin. And what we've earned because of that is death. And death is separation. When a person dies in this life, imagine this is their body and these two fingers represent the spirit and the soul. When they die, their spirit and soul are separated from their body. That's what James chapter 2 says, that the body without the spirit is dead. When separation of those things occurs, death occurs. But do you know there's a second death in hell, and that is separation from God. You see, the soul and the spirit want to be united with, with God in heaven, but if they do not accept Christ, they'll be separated from Him and experience the second death in a place called hell of unutterable suffering. So that's what we deserve. I deserve it, you do, because we're sinners. We're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. And we can't change that. We're not perfect. And we never will be on our, on our own. But here's the good news. The good news is that God commendeth His love toward us. Romans 5.8 God loved you so much that even though you were sinners, it, for God, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we were sinners, and we deserved to die and go to hell. But Christ died for us, it says. He died to take the punishment for your sin and mine in His own body so that we could be forgiven and God could maintain His righteousness because the price was paid. He didn't just say, I'm going to brush it under the rug permissively. No, He righteously washed it away from us so the slate was clean and pure and righteous with the blood of Jesus Christ. And He offers Heaven to us now is a gift. It is the gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Over and over again, we read that truth in Romans chapter 5. It's a free gift, a free gift, a free gift. In Ephesians 2, 8, the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no, not enough work that you can do. There's not enough money that you can give to atone for your sins. Only the blood of Jesus Christ could pay for your forgiveness and mine and offer you a home eternally in heaven that's secure with Jesus. 
He's offering it to you as a gift. You say, that's wonderful. I don't have much money. I couldn't pay for it. I couldn't afford it if I had to. I, I, I'm, I'm not perfect. I've done too many things wrong that are against me. I couldn't wipe that slate clean and maintain purity throughout the remainder of my days. So I need a Savior. Jesus came to save you. You say, how do I receive that free gift? Well, the Bible says this, that with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My friend, if we believe that we're sinners and we can't save ourselves, and we believe that Jesus loved us so much that He died on the cross in our place to wash our sin away and forgive us so that we could have eternity in heaven with Him, and we receive that as a gift that He offers to us, believing, then He said, you shall be saved. That's a promise from a God that cannot lie. So, understand Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again to be able to give you this life and if you would just simply ask Him for it, believing that He's the only one that can provide it to you, you will be saved. And so tonight, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Now, my prayer will not save you. But if this prayer reflects what is in your heart, a desire to know you're forgiven and that heaven is your home, then you make my prayer your own and it'll be yours. You pray it from the heart unto the Lord. And He'll hear you. And He will do just as He promised. He will save you. Let's pray right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I now come to You admitting that I am a sinner. And I realize that I cannot change that. And I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with Him. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me and to take me to heaven when I die. Thank You for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for Thee. For this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend, if you prayed that prayer believing tonight that Jesus would keep His Word to you and give you salvation, then on the authority of God's Word, you're saved. Your sin is forgiven. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, you and I were not even born yet. So He paid for all of our sin in advance, past, present, and future. And so... Tomorrow, if you should slip up and commit a sin, the Lord paid for that sin as well. And He gave you everlasting life. John 3.16 If you could lose it, it would not be everlasting. But He said in His Word, in John chapter 10 and verse 27, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me. Or, or rather, uh, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man uh, be able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man shall be able to pluck them out of my Father's hand, he said. So look, I'm secure in the grip of God's grace and no man will ever be able to extract me from it. I started to quote 
John chapter 6 and verse number 37, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. When I come to the Lord, he'll never kick me out. He's giving, giving me life without end. It's the very life of God. Rejoice in that tonight. And don't keep it to yourself. Listen, God didn't save us just to sit in a church house and become real religious. He saved us so that we could be a part of his building program and telling other people everywhere we go that Jesus will save them too. My friends, thank you for joining us tonight. If you've made that decision to receive Christ as Savior, send us a note, an email, through Sermon Audio or our website at freewaybaptist.org. We want to send you a Bible and some resources that will help you to begin growing in this new life that is yours in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm.